as you follow the order of the Westminster Confession, you have what we call the order of salvation listed. Not every Reformed systematic theology will use exactly the same order, but, but in the basics, they are uh, unified. Uh, what we have in chapters 14 and 15 is, as it were, a, an interlude or a pause moment um, when you go um, from um, eternal decree, right, uh, as revealed by Scripture, you go to um, the effectual calling that God places upon the elect, then uh, following effectual calling in that order of, of salvation, uh, you come to uh, justification and adoption and sanctification and good works, perseverance of the saints, and the assurance of grace and salvation uh, as well, leading finally to glory. Uh, what we're doing, what, what the, what the um, confession is dealing with here in chapters uh, f uh, 14 and 15 then is um, uh, related to the topic of conversion. So that is not listed as a chapter so much, but um, if you have uh, noticed following effectual calling, there is this discussion of saving faith and repentance unto life. And um, that's what we want to talk about uh, um, a little bit. By the way, I heard this week that G.I. Williamson passed away. I thought he was gone already for a long time. Um, and the reason why I thought that probably is because he died this last week at age 98. And who gets to be 98? You know, not too many people. So, um, But uh, this was a wonderful brother in Christ. And he left uh, his churches and all of us with a very uh, wonderful study of the Westminster Confession. And I've been using that uh, every, you know, every service that we are going through this. So if you ever find a used copy, um, this is a good asset to have. So we're looking at uh, the uh, order of salvation, as I mentioned, and then particularly under conversion, we list um, of saving faith and repentance unto life, according to the confession. Just a brief recap of what is the order of salvation, the order salutis. The, I've, I've read this uh, statement and uh, it's pretty good. The order salutis describes the process by which the work of salvation, so the process by which the work of salvation wrought in Christ is subjectively realized in the hearts and lives of sinners. It aims at describing their logical order and also in their interrelations, the various movements of the Holy Spirit in the application of the work of redemption. Not a words, but uh, if you are writing a few things down, uh, you can also afterwards ask me and I'll give it to you again okay so um i've way too many notes of course as always um one of the things that uh, gi williamson mentions is that uh, when we talk about the conversion of a sinner uh it does mean that you know he or she becomes justified in christ before god uh, but there is that process that takes place by which we become a justified person and the bible calls that conversion um, and when we talk about conversion, we, of course, talk about regeneration. Uh, nothing can happen from our side in response to the gospel unless there is regeneration first. 
So the Holy Spirit has to sovereignly awaken the heart, open the mind and heart and will, all our affections, so that we are understanding our need for Christ and seek that gift that is freely offered to us. And what he um, labors to explain then is that when God saves a sinner, he saves the sinner in total. It is the total person who is being saved. We're not only saved in terms of our soul, but we're saved body and soul because the Lord created mankind, body and soul, soul and body. And so when Jesus redeems, he redeems you in total, in total as a person. And so we look for total transformation when we talk about the conversion of a sinner. So there has to be repentance. There has to be repentance and faith that um, the gospel message presentation provokes in God's elect. Briefly, in terms of repentance, three things you might want to jot down. And that is um, a person must know, he or she must know his lost condition. Uh, Romans 3.20 comes to mind. Ezekiel 36.31 can also be uh, Secondly, man must have a broken and contrite heart. Jeremiah 31, 19. And thirdly, man must ways. Corinthians 7, When it comes to faith, uh, the first to list here is that man must find remedy so it's not only that we know what our problem is but we also need to know what our solution is Heidelberg Catechism does a great job by the way in opening that up in the opening uh, questions and answers uh, so know the divine remedy Romans 10 13 through 17 man secondly must feel drawn to Christ with heart assent um, we, we, we believe in sovereign election. We believe that the man is bound. But when the Holy Spirit draws uh, an elect sinner to himself, uh, he doesn't, uh, he's not forced. Now, nobody is forced into the kingdom. The Holy Spirit enables us and gives us the new desire to accept that, to want that, um, and to receive it by faith. So you must be... F- Uh, have that drawing to Christ with complete heart uh, ascent. Uh, John 4, 24 and 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And finally, under faith, man must turn to Christ to rely upon him alone for salvation. Acts 16.31 and 15.11. So those are the two main subjects of of this um, um, confession uh, when it speaks about uh, repentance to life and um, what was it called of, of saving faith um, so looking a little bit closer now to chapter 14 that speaks about uh, faith first and um, when I think about that I think that's really uh, intentional as well uh, it's a reformed way of thinking about salvation that you list faith before repentance in God's mind, 
how these things are exactly uh, related to each other, you know, he alone knows for sure. We know that both of these are components of a true person's uh, faith experience, salvation experience. But in a Reformed book like this, uh, you uh, place faith before uh, repentance because it, it reminds us again of the sovereignty of God's mercy and love for us. That uh, faith, which itself is called a gift, an evangelical gift, um, uh, is mentioned before the call to repentance, which logically uh, follows. So when we are looking at those uh, articles, um, I'm going to go through them rather briefly. Um, in the first uh, uh, art article or paragraph, um, saving faith is a work of the spirit of Christ in a person's heart. Um, and uh, it says that ordinarily, right? Uh, ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the word, by which also, and by the administration of the sacraments and prayer, it is increased and strengthened. So I just kind of took hold of that word ordinarily. Um, maybe there's a footnote here. Ordinarily, the normal order by way, of, by way of which God calls and receives and reconciles himself to his elect is by way of the word, the ministry of the word. But ordinarily so. Um, it just goes to show you that there are possibly situations in which a person cannot be under the means of grace, under the means of the ministry, the formal church ministry of the word, maybe in a prison or some in a hospital or whatever, uh, on, on, the, on the front lines in a war, uh, where a person comes to faith sovereignly through the direct intervention uh, of God and perhaps through a word that a fellow soldier, let's say, uh, shares with the soldier that's dying. Um, so that's just to, to show that normally um, we should uh, focus on the ministry of the word, but that um, God also uses uh, other means uh, by which to increase and strengthen our faith, and that is uh, the administration of the sacraments and prayer. Uh, so sacraments and prayer are also very crucial in the life of the church. Um, then secondly, by the gift of faith, a Christian believes all that is written in God's word, um, because a Christian recognizes that the word of God uh, has authority over him. Uh, it is the Lord who speaks to you. I'm not speaking to you. The Lord speaks to you when I faithfully declare his praises to you from his word. So um, the word of God ought to have a great authority in your life. Um, and so that's why it is uh, natural for a Christian to have an open Bible in his or her home. Um, you know, if you have a Bible and it sits on the shelf somewhere and it uh, says, oh, this is my grandfather's Bible, and oh, wonderful, you know. Um, uh, but uh, I don't care whose it is if you don't use it. Um, and maybe you have that grandfather's Bible and it never gets open, but you have another Bible, and that one you do use uh, for your edification and your study of God's Word. Um, be in Scripture. Um, because the authority can't be felt, can't be experienced unless you're in the Word. And that's why it's so important that the Christian has opportunity to be strengthened in our faith also by way of not only the ministry of the Word, but also by Bible study um, and other opportunities where, like in private devotions, in family devotions, 
um, you strengthen your faith in that of your children um, through being exposed to the authority of Scripture. Uh, 14, uh, the third paragraph, uh, it simply speaks about uh, the fact that uh, faith is different in degrees. Really a reminder that we're not all, uh, we're all in one classroom where the Holy Spirit is the teacher, the Bible is his textbook, but we're all, um, according to spiritual age, um, where we are. And some of us are maybe uh, here about, some of us are higher above in that spiritual maturity um, and pilgrimage. But um, it's good to recognize that there is different uh, of degrees, that uh, some brothers are weak, some are strong, but some of the stronger brothers sometimes are weak, right? Um, and so that's good to remember as well. But all of us in Christ are pursuing the victory that is ours. Uh, and that is uh, upon us when the Lord calls us home or returns uh, to take his children and church into his presence. But um, there has to be growth. This plant in front of me, uh, Brenda asks me usually, or not usually, but uh, sometimes, uh, what does it, uh, you know, I'm here usually every day during the week. Um, what does this plant look like? Uh, are the leaves drooping, she'll say. Well, no, they're not drooping. Brenda probably uh, gave water anyway. But uh, even during the week, they were not drooping. So the, the, the plant was doing okay. But what would you say if, <laughs> you know, is your life like that? Your spirit life? Is your faith life like, you, know, you need water. You need, you need the nutrients. Um, and and to, to, to be strong, because you don't have to only be strong for yourself, but you have to be strong for others, your husband, your wife, your child, your colleague, your friend who struggles. Uh, we need to uh, grow in our faith uh, and um, the means uh, that, we, that God has provided for us, we must not neglect them. And that's why... Uh, Hebrews 10 talks about that, of course, as well, that we ought not to neglect the assembly of God's people, um, especially in light of the coming of the Lord. Uh, that is one way by which to show that we're true followers of Christ, that we are in the assembly on the Lord's day. Uh, that leads me to the second chapter, uh, the, the chapter 15 on repentance unto life. It implies, the first paragraph implies the difference between true and false repentance. Um, Repentance um, is, is, the, uh, is, is associated with the concept of conversion. So if I repent of something, that means that I admit guilt. And that is not just a verbal confession, but it also means that I turn away from that sin. So if there's sin in our lives, especially you know, particular sin, which we are encouraged, by the way, to not forget mentioning to God and sometimes to one another, um, when there's particular sin, then we need to confess that. Uh, because how can you repent unless you don't know what to repent from specifically and turn away from? So it is good that we as Reformed Christians, we are quick to, uh, re to remind ourselves of the uh, security of our salvation in Christ forever. But um, the soul life uh, that is ours in our pilgrimage on earth requires that we do do uh, examination. Am I, am, I, am I walking with Christ? Am I close to Christ? 
Is Christ in me? Can people see Christ in me? What is there in my life that is really hindering me from being the man or woman of God that I'm supposed to be? So therefore, the Westminster Confession is, is very helpful as well, that it just simply points out that there's a difference between true repentance and false repentance. Um, and uh, then it says that uh, this must be preached uh, by all pastors, by all ministers, it says. Um, uh, and not just uh, the repentance part, but also faith. So a balanced sermon includes repentance and faith, calls to repentance and calls to faith. The second paragraph there in chapter 15, um, out of the conviction of the danger of the odiousness of sin, it says, knowing sin to be a contradiction of the holiness we claim by faith in Christ, believers, true believers, seek seriously God's mercy. Are you seriously seeking God's forgiveness about your sins? Am I? I don't know how you pray. It's your business. But I know I have prayed many times at the end of the day. Lord, thank you for everything. And forgive my sins. And you know, I'm not saying that I was duplicitous about that or you know, uh, not, not, not serious about that. Um, but uh, that's too easy. If we're, going to, if we're going to develop in our faith, in our growing in Christ, uh, there has to be that willingness to stand before the mirror and then see by the Holy Spirit pointing it out to us uh, that there is there's need for repentance. What a wonderful reminder. Uh, the fourth paragraph, for example, no sin is so small that it doesn't deserve the damnation. So this is a kind of implied rejection of Catholic view of, of, of sin, uh, where you have a venial sin and mortal sin. Um, don't worry too much about the venial sin. The mortal sin, you know, make sure it comes to see you before you draw your breath. Um, so it says no sin is so small that it doesn't deserve damnation. The... Uh, opposite side of that is no sin is so great to bring damnation on those who truly repent so there's hope there is hope for each person there's hope for Mr. Putin you know a man who right now has a lot to answer for Hitler uh, these very evil people that have traversed this planet if they came in God's providence and his sovereignty before that opportunity of confessing their sins they will be saved however incomprehensible that is to us whoever you might think about well is that just or not well then think about your own self before God do you deserve to be saved do you deserve to be forgiven for the umpteenth time in your life because of this or that thing that is just stubbornly there and won't go away? We have to remember that our reconciliation before God in Christ and the need for ongoing reconciliation through repentance and faith in Christ is based solely on grace, not our performance. I'm not going to show up before God after I have sinned and I'm in, in, that, in that spiritual you know, sort of state where I feel I am not reconciled with him, not in fellowship with him because of my sin, that you know, I come to God 
the following morning or at the end of the following week, and I say, Lord, look at that. I didn't do that. I am presenting my perfection, basically. That is not the gospel. The gospel is that you're saved by grace alone. And that should never be compromised by any view whatsoever about whatever in the Christian life, particularly when it comes to discipline. When we are talking about Christian discipline, sometimes called church discipline, and we think about it more in formal terms, but church discipline is Christian discipline. We need to convey the gospel message. Repent and believe. Turn away from your sins. Renew your trust in Christ. And that restoration of fellowship is then on the basis of who I am already in Christ. I'm simply doing what I'm supposed to do as a follower of Christ. I repent. I show sorry for my sins. And thanks to the Holy Spirit who is ever faithful, I come to the Lord and I receive his forgiveness because that is the forgiveness that we have in Christ secured by the blood of Jesus on the cross. The last I think it is the last, the sixth paragraph is about confession. Every man, woman, is bound to make private confession of his sins to God. This is not an option in the Christian life. Um, we ask God for pardon. It's real sin that we commit every day. It's actual sins that we commit, and actual sin means culpability. There is guilt attached. And we take those sins to the cross because there we are declared free. Luther would often you know, remind us, his, his audience of that, that um, you know, we, we the, the theology of the cross uh, versus the theology of, the, of glory. It means that a Christian never arrives, so to speak, and says, okay, I'm beyond station sin and need for repentance. But every day I'm called to faith Every day I'm called to repentance. And when I, by faith, believe and by faith repent, I'm reassured of the declaration that has already once for all been given in Christ to me and God in Christ declared me free, justified. And by being justified, I'm sanctified. So forsaking them all, uh, all our sins, uh, the confession says, we will find mercy. If there are sins committed against others, the penitent sinner, trusting in God's mercy, will confess his or her wrongdoing to another person. Or the Church of Christ, it says, either in private or public confession, showing sorry f sorrow for his sin. Those people in turn reconcile themselves to this repentant, repentant member and in love, it says, receive them. Many churches... I've gotten the sense over the years. Many churches struggle with the practice of receiving penitent sinners back into fellowship. Um, may God give humility to all who follow Christ and be ready to confess by true repentance, showing the fruit thereof. And also the church community be quick to accept the penitent brother and not leave, in, uh, leave that person standing in the cold 
longer than needs to be, but to receive him or her without delay. The father said to the son, Quick, kill the fattened lamb. My son who was dead came home. He is alive. 2 Corinthians 2, 7, finally. So, Paul says about the person who is penitent, so you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. That, my friends, would also be a tragedy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. And we use that phrase so often, but it never loses its gravity because the forgiveness that is ours in Christ Jesus is tremendous. It is overwhelming. Thank you, Father, for your kindness. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your mercy that you do not give up on your people, your elect in Christ. And therefore we return every day to you and ask for forgiveness and we receive it by faith completely. Heavenly Father, will you give us strength to live this week as in your presence, as sinners who have come home, who have become royalty, and as royalty may we live that new life, that liberty in Christ, and may others through our lives be drawn unto you. Heavenly Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.